I was pro-communist and mm -hmm. extremely pro-American because I really love a rock and roll. Welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It's just me, Tammy, today in what I think is our first live recording with guests. It's very exciting. I drove down from Tacoma to Portland this morning to meet with Julian Zepparidi and Amelia Halverson, who are going to talk about their newest album, uh, 1975, a solo act slash not solo act called No No Boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really just a homework assignment gone crazy. So we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, if you guys don't know it, I think it circulated around our Discord a little bit, but um, this new No No Boy album is really interesting for anybody who's. I don't know, interested in any number of things, Asian American history, um, amalgamations of folk music, sort of inner genre mixing, um, ethnographic collection, and graduate school, uh, <laughs> or being a refugee from graduate school. Yeah. Um, so yeah, welcome, Julian and Amelia. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, so I think we could start maybe with that provocation, which was that this is a sort of school project gone awry or <laughs> a school project that's kind of exploded your universe. So you started doing this research at Brown or was it slightly before when you were in Wyoming? It was before, yeah. So I'm a, a wayward rock and roll musician who kind of fell ass backwards into academia <laughs> yeah. and like wanted to go somewhere after like touring in like my early 20s where I could just like these misguided uh, notions of masculinity to climb big mountains and stuff like that. So I thought Wyoming and then a history teacher at Vanderbilt where I was kind of bumming around said, you should go to a grad school and explain to me what that is. And <laughs> my, I don't have, we don't have a lot of college degrees on the American side of my family or anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just kind of spent two years getting a master's in American studies and, and climbing rocks and just traveling around, living out my car during the summers. And it was incredible. And while I was traveling around, living out of the car, found all these places of Asian American history. Like I really became Asian American and feel like have since like stopped being as much Asian American as I've studied it ad nauseum. But I really felt for the first time in my life, Asian American in Wyoming, like going to Rock Springs where the massacre was in 1885, all those Chinese miners and hmm. up to the Heart Mountain internment camp. And just um, seeing people in this really desolate area or the, the shadows, the ghosts, the lingering histories of these people in this desolate area that I was now living in yeah. as like one of the only Asian people of color type folks out there. And I just felt like, I don't know, like I never felt Asian American as defined by like the West Coast thing. Like that activist thing in the 60s and 70s, like yeah. my friend Nobuko, who's on Folkways, like her thing, like... I've talked to her a lot, like, and I don't identify with that or, like, the East yeah. Coast New York thing. because you came up in Nashville. Yeah, I came up in Nashville, very isolated. But I was, like, looking at some demographics recently, and, like, like there's so many of us from the South in the Midwest. Yeah. And those stories aren't really told or anything. Mm -hmm. So, I yeah, I really became interested in Asian America, and this project starts out West because there's so much space, and then when you do encounter someone who kind of looks like you, like an old Japanese or Chinese person, you kind of don't understand what they went through because it was a hundred years ago or whatever, and they were in a lot worse circumstances than you. But it's like, I kind of, I see the same landscape and I have time to think about it. And then 
that got me interested in the rest of this. And then I started just doing more research that turned into like kind of a gateway into talking about the very hard history of like my own family, like Vietnamese yeah. people, which is like just tough because it's so bloody, right? Southeast Asia is like a whole nother death, like, yeah. like obvious in your face death. And how do you talk about that with your family? So I kind of got the questions through other Asian American communities, studying those, talking with those folks. And then, yeah, and then, then went to Brown to get a PhD and they let me just kind of turn the songs I started writing about this stuff into a dissertation. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> now we're talking. Right, yeah. yeah. And so just to back up a little bit for listeners who may not know, so you came up in Nashville and kind of musical family, but your mom was from Vietnam and came in 68 with her family. Is that right? She came in 68 by herself. By herself, wow. So like, yeah, her, our family was kind of split apart by the war. Like some folks went north to, to fight with Ho, but then like her grandfather was killed during the Tet Offensive. Mm. And then she went to 68, she went to a, a school in America on a student visa. Oh, cause, wow. Because we were like French citizens and had some like clout. Gotcha. So she was able to get out. The rest of the family stays till 75, some till 76, and they're all refugees in France. Right, okay. So she's one of the only Americans out of that family. And so one of the songs, Sandini, when you're talking about your grandmother, she was in France then. Yeah, yeah, my bung Lai. Uh, she went to France in 76, um, flew out of Bangkok. Ma mère, une femme pieuse, like my childhood was really neat in part because of the refugee experience because yeah. I got to go to France every year. And so I grew up very culturally French. My mom and I still speak in French a lot. We yeah. text in French. Um, and, uh, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I want to talk about, like, all the kind of hop politics that come into the making of this, too. But, um, mm -hmm. Amelia, how about you? I know that you have some family roots in the East Coast. What's your story, and how do you come to this music? Yeah, so I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and my mom is Chinese-American, um, and Taiwanese American, and I think she had a really um, like mixed experience, I guess, growing up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, as like the oh, only wow. yeah, Asian American <laughs> yeah. family in town. And her brother was um, in a wheelchair for most of his life, wow. so um, I think there was just like a sense of visibility there. But also, her parents didn't let her and her brother speak Chinese because they didn't want them to grow up with accents because they always felt that was like limiting in the workplace and. Mm. Um, yeah, and then I guess for me, growing up mixed, there's not a huge Asian or Chinese-American community in Baltimore mm. at all, mm -hmm. so it was just something, like, I did every other weekend was go to Northern Virginia, where my grandpa and my cousins live. Oh, wow, okay. Do, so like, you had a little community. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. and then I feel like it was something I sort of was aware of. Sometimes people would ask you the what are you question, but college was the place where it sort of started like, I think I started identifying more as, like, oh, Asian-American, there's a lot more Asians here at college. Yeah. And started noticing a lot of my friends are also Asian-American, so there's just a natural uh, kinship. And then, yeah, and then I met Julian through the music department, so it oh, had to do with the, <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> gotcha, but, um, wow. Yeah, and, yeah, I feel like for me, just that has been, um, has... I feel like I've gotten deeper into my understanding of like not only how I feel as an Asian American, but specifically Chinese and Taiwanese and how my family, like the circumstances under which my family came over, which was a lot more voluntary uh, right, than yeah. Julian's family. Yeah. Yeah, but your grandma, right? Like she died before you were born, but you know mm -hmm. that she, her family was getting away from the cultural revolution. Yeah. So. Mm, they came around then. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, yeah, we talk a lot about just the difference, like, 
you know, just even in Amelia's family, like a grandpa who came from Taiwan mm -hmm. under Japanese imperialism. Right. Grew up speaking Japanese. Yeah. And the yeah. difference between, yeah. And yeah, it's just sort of a funny thing of like, I'm not sure the things in my family that are like Chinese or Japanese because of colonialism or just unique quirks of my family. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Same, I think. Uh, right, I think right. all of, yeah, my grandparents also were speaking Japanese and mm, had a yeah. lot of context because of the colonization in Korea. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's actually a really interesting point of departure because you guys talk a lot about in the songs and, you know, in the interviews you've given about being kind of Asian American and having, you know, that kind of cultural identity. And yet you were pointing out like, well, you're also Chinese American specifically or Viet or, mm -hmm. right. So what to you is kind of constitutive of being Asian American? It's something we talk a lot on our podcast about, like, is this actually a manufactured identity that doesn't really have anything to it? Or, you know, has it morphed into something that's really quite tangible at this point? Yeah, I mean, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about this just because of the nature of the work and the yeah. increased visibility of this project, so I have to think about it more and more. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know. It landed on a, in a particular time, also, this yeah. latest album. Yeah, absolutely, which was really weird. Um, it felt strange, like a little uncomfortable, I guess. Yeah, just being yeah. so close to the Atlanta shootings and stuff because it was right. like the last thing I wanted to be asked about by a really well-meaning NPR Yeah. It's, it's a bit me, much DJ. sometimes. Like, yeah, this yeah, doesn't all like, necessarily connect. <laughs> no, and like, just you know, I want to like, I got friends who do work in Atlanta, like uh, my friends Fee and Hillary, who work for Asian Americans Advancing Justice. Oh, and wow. it's like yeah. Just try to like stuff. point towards them who are like doing real work and just yeah. like a, a singer dude. <laughs> got some thoughts and uh, yeah, <laughs> some more degrees than I need under my belt, but it's like. I don't know. But the Asian American thing's weird. Like, um, I just, yeah, I never felt akin to that, that West Coast thing. Mm -hmm. Like, just to the, that, uh, the political invention of the Asian American. Like, right. How would I, you have known? <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. I didn't until I got to grad school, to my yeah. PhD, not even my master's in American studies. Yeah. Like, because mm -hmm. there was no Asian American professor. But then when you go to the West Coast, like, I remember playing right. shows with another classmate who, like, Amelia was the first singer who worked with his pro mostly just people around brown that could mm -hmm. whoever could sing <laughs> so i wasn't around musicians anymore and so i was touring with another classmate and all these asian american activists i remember when we got to san francisco it's like the biggest show we ever played and it was like a lot of like og asian american activists wow. who were like you're our chris and joanne and then i got to be friends with nobuko like later and i was like i told her i was like i'd never heard your records before If you yeah. grew up as an Asian person on the West Coast in certain places, especially right. the Bay Area, yeah. you have like an infrastructure, you have kind of like a lot of assumptions about what it means to be Asian American, but I think you really kind of assume that's how it is for everyone else in the country who sort of has slanty eyes and looks like you, and that's just not how I grew up at all. Right? Yeah. It was just more of a rejection of any Asian-ness out of safety mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So the Asian American thing, like, I understand where it comes from politically, and I think it, it's a necessity um, to to have that identity, but it's broadened, right? Like, it's, now everything can be Asian American, right? And um, from, like, uh, but I hope that's, that's a conversation that the political side of it, like, appreciates and doesn't dismiss. Yeah. Like, to not pretend like 40% of Vietnamese people didn't vote for Trump, you know what I mean? Right. Or however many Filipinos and stuff with the more conservative bases, or... 
you know, to, to deal with as part of a community, the folks who are like against affirmative action, totally. like the things that I don't like personally, mm -hmm. but I understand that you can't have selective Asian Americanism. Yeah. Right. And you got to understand where all of these issues come from, like topics like. I immigrated here the right way, or I was the right kind of refugee, mm -hmm. or like whatever yeah, the fuck that Yeah, a good means. immigrant, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's an opportunity to, um, you know, I hope every Asian kid gets a little bit of um, uh, that history behind them, which, which was so important for uh, the founding of that Asian American movement. But I hope that the movement itself kind of doesn't broaden or soften its politics necessarily, but just is more... I don't read a lot of academic papers like when I'm pouring <laughs> through my field exams about like, you know, the Hoppe kid in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like maybe some Viet shrimpers down in Houston or New Orleans, you know, maybe some coolies who came up from the Caribbean to be a racial wedge between like freed blacks and white plantation owners. Like, but I don't see that slice of life kind of thing that I grew up with and I don't know if that's how you felt you grew up. Yeah, too. well, that just reminded me, too. You mentioned Rock Springs earlier, and we went back there when we were driving through Wyoming. Um, and Julian, I joined him on his ritual of always eating at the one, like, Chinese restaurant <laughs> down there as, like, our little tribute. There's three. So okay, I, I one of the three. The best one of the three. Um, and They're when... all equally not. <laughs> yeah, <great>. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, still better than the sushi place. <laughs> oh, man. Sushi in Wyoming. That's rude. Okay, shout out to Sushi Boat in Laramie, Wyoming. You have great variety. A attached to the travel that. I was in Montana area. last year working for a while, so yeah, yeah I totally get that. Okay. <laughs> you gotta play to their stuff. Get out of here, this coastal elitism. Uh -huh. We take what this we can what get. I'm the son of Chinese buffets in middle America. But um, but I was gonna say, um, at the restaurant we went to, it was it was really interesting because so um, I mean a lot of the people working there like appeared to be immigrants but then even within that they're like mostly Chinese immigrants and we had the one waiter who's Vietnamese and he's oh, like wow. left out of so the funny. group yeah yeah uh -huh. so I think yeah just that's just something I don't even like you don't really think about you think about the Asian American experience it's like there's well when did you come over what generation are you um, what's your level of education and then like yeah, your ethnicity totally. like in relation to other groups because there's this whole like political history in Asia that still has, you know, strings here, I guess. Totally, people, yeah. Feel. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a Korean, a Chinese, and a Viet. Like, there's some yeah. feelings against, you know, <laughs> Japanese people right. in particular right. in our families that yeah. are understandable, you know? And then different views of, like, what America means to different yeah. people, mm -hmm. you know, who come from these backgrounds, so. But shout out to whatever that Vietnamese inevitably last name Nguyen the, <laughs> the kid who served us at the Chinese restaurant in Rock Springs was, was he a new immigrant? yeah wow yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so I, I mean those are the stories I want to know more about yeah you know yeah. I always thought just like whatever the book is of just eating eating your Asian food across America <laughs> is the book I want to read I guess there's the is it the Jennifer A. Lee book on Chinese food in America I think that's the one that would kind of track some of that but yeah, yeah I'm sure there are others yeah um so kind of just backtracking a little bit so um you know we mentioned the title of the newest album uh, 1975 and that was just released this year um but there's the first no no boy album which was in 2018 called 1942 so do you guys want to just say what does 1942 mean when does 1975 mean and kind of like how i have thoughts on like the evolution of that music but you know how did you kind of conceptualize the first one versus the second one 
Well, I feel like um, they're they're all just part of a huge project. Yeah. So it's like seventy plus songs. I mean, it's what I've spent my dissertation doing. Yeah. So that's how I. To avoid uh, writing. To avoid well, you know, it's like <laughs> I got to. I, it's 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 more of to, if the point, and academics out there can agree or disagree of if the point of what we're doing is to kind of help the world and um you know in the small 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 way <laughs> that we can uh i think we got to have more public facing yeah. work and i luckily had an advisor who agreed with me yeah. you know and and for me my particular skill um at communication comes through songwriting mm -hmm. but i would argue that there's not a person alive whose particular best method of writing is the dissertation yeah it's a very forced very, very specific. like anchored <laughs> unnatural anchored <laughs> down by citations yeah. and form and just the suffering of your advisors being totally. kind of inherited <laughs> and put upon you <laughs> and there's just absolutely no reason why like for me as an ethnographer why i'm not why we're not making more films you know what i yeah, mean making sure. podcasts you know uh, heavily researched and cited mm -hmm. you, you know pass your field exams read your 300 books know your stuff but um, yeah, so that's kind of what, part of what, as an academic, that's part of what the, they always say, what's your intervention here right. in the field? Yeah. And it's just like, I don't reach more people. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's now like a few thousand people who know about some of these stories totally. from my dissertation yeah. because of Spotify, or YouTube, or whatever. And, and so it's a large project. It's like 70 plus songs and the mm -hmm. albums are kind of arbitrary. It's like, mm -hmm. okay. I kind of was just hanging out with my buddy in, uh, Normal, Illinois. No joke, that's the name of the town. His name's Seth. He's suburban. An <laughs> I've heard of it, but yeah. Old, old Berkeley College of Music buddy, and I was like, I got some new songs, and he, he produced them. He's produced, helped produce all the songs um, oh, yeah. and yeah. mix them and stuff. His name's Seth. And uh, just hanging out with him and his family, so just a lot of babysitting and then recording when we can. And then I finish up the records kind of on my computer. Um, in the 1942 album, the significance of the name, of course, that's when the Japanese American folks were shipped off to the camps and a big centerpiece, like I said, is like my time in Wyoming and, mm -hmm. and my um, time spent at this place called Hard Mountain and a lot of the other Western camps and, and some real personal relationships. Like this lady, Joy, um, who I sing about her band, the Georgie Gawa Orchestra yeah. that formed in the Hard Mountain camp. Joy Went to the tryout, she was only 16 With some girlfriends to like, like, Yeah, yeah, and it's, it was such a cool story to come across And I had to know more and I wanted to interview all these folks Who had played music in these camps cause, yeah. I mean, that's like, if you talk about identity levels, right? Like, musician above all else I feel like if I meet another musician That's like, my fir like the first identifier Right It's like, yeah. I don't, like, you get what it's like to have gone on the road and played shows, right? And so for me as a researcher who's also a musician, if I'm looking at these bands, that's always how I get into history. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, 1942 is really important because that band, the Georgia Go Orchestra, and all these musicians I interviewed from the internment camps or the incarceration camps or concentration camps, whatever your listeners are comfortable with calling <laughs> them um, yeah. uh, respectfully. So, uh, you know, that, that lady Joy and then her daughter Denise, um, they're like family to me. So I wanted mm -hmm. to kind of give praise to what those folks um, gave to me, like mm -hmm. all their stories. And then, of course, 1975 is the year that Saigon fell and lost its name and yeah. re reunified. What does is, what is Viet Nguyen say? Like, Saigon fell or was reunified, depending on who you ask. <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah, like, 
Then someone asked me recently, is the next one going to be like a date? I was like, I don't know what date is, <laughs> has as much meaning as those two for me. So yeah. we'll just uh, go. Hopefully I won't the have future. to be. Yeah, the future. <laughs> Asian future. Yeah. yeah. And our listeners probably know, but of course, No No Boy is a nod to John Okada's book. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a lot like the um, the sympathizer, which I was just quoting uh, the Vietnam book. I think it's a a really great example of like this kind of like never shown boiling Asian American toxic masculinity um, that happens by this kind of split in two ness, like this mm-hmm. torn in halfness that both of those off- authors really get at, which being the product of the South, being a product of like the nineties, I real and being uh, a mixed like Asian and white person, I really felt in both of those novels. So I think like if there's mm-hmm. companion pieces for either of those albums, it's like No No Boy and The Sympathizer. Mm, I love that. And I think you guys said in an interview also that it is a tribute to No No Boy, a song by a Japanese band. You know, the whole world had its own answer to the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, they were one of those bands, and the song No No Boy is so sick. And I just, <laughs> the last three years, four years, I've had just my record collection and my playlists online are just so filled with what, I, when I was a kid, what I considered like weird kind of like mm-hmm. Asian rock and roll. But now, like, I feel like I've seen the light, like. <laughs> where was this music hiding it's kind of like when you discover like um fella kuti or like north african guitar music and stuff like that it's yeah. like oh these people took this british american product and made it their own and localized it mm-hmm. and especially if you're like a nerd who studies like western imperialism <laughs> it's even cooler because <laughs> it's like yeah like <laughs> localizing the music of your oppressor mm-hmm. in many different ways um so yeah the spiders have a song called no no boy which is just they're awesome a lot of their like <laughs> tv performances which you can still find on youtube are so stupid it's, it's like it's like japanese cosplay of like the rolling stones like so just, good it's amazing yeah um so yeah, so there's a lot. No, no, boy, just there's. There's a lot of meaning. It's just yeah. it's a it's a trick to get people to read a book, to get <laughs> white people to read. No, no, boy. Yeah. That's why, because I figured like if anyone Googled it, that's what would come up first, and so. Yeah. You're welcome, University of Washington Press. For the... <laughs> I was gonna say it got some attention because of the whole controversy around with Penguin a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. but this is a better reason to read it. We talked a little bit about kind of like ethnographic sound capture and the way that those songs are kind of constructed. But um, as a producer on that album, Amelia, do you want to say like what are the pieces of that? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, that is something that Julian was really interested in for the second album, especially I think as his um, catalog of gear expanded as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, that was something we did um, traveling around the country last or I guess 2019 when we were sort of touring and teaching and also looking for places to live potentially <laughs> uh-huh. and at all these places finding these historical spots um so whether it was crystal city where there was an, a japanese internment camp um and there's this big uh, water basin that julian bangs on and that becomes transformed through some of his pedals and synthesizers into this bass drum that you hear on a lot of the tracks and then 
Um, I helped him record some samples at this tiny little town that we just stopped in for a night on our way to Portland uh, called Baker City. Mm. And there's still a Chinese cemetery there. Um, oh, wow. That, yeah, it goes back, I think, to like the 1800s or something. So was that railroad? Um, Labor? I'm not sure. It, it might be railroad. Yeah, it might interesting. Be, yeah, miners or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's like a little pagoda there. So we wow. sprinkled some gravel on it. And... <laughs> What's the word in... What's the Chinese version of a pagoda? I'm a bad Chinese. No. <laughs> no, but I always say that too, and it's like yeah. I know that it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Apologies to the listeners. But you know what I'm talking about. I it's also do not know. Red yeah. that your songs and your guys's sort of political project intersects those Asian American histories also with like Native American expulsion and attempted mm-hmm. genocide and also what's ongoing at the border right mm-hmm. so you guys have spent some time and Dil- at the facility in Dilly Texas mm-hmm. um, which if folks don't know that's one of the main um, that has been one of the main and early detention centers for women and children who have been apprehended at the border mm-hmm. um, do you want to Talk about that experience. So I, my understanding is you did some some music for some of the attorneys who were working in there and you wanted to kind of connect these these stories. Yeah, I think Yeah, I tried to I tried to tour this project reg, like regular style, for lack of a better word. Um, <laughs> the way I did when I was in a van. Get in a van. Yeah, <laughs> and just drive around and, and play shows That's for good. two months. Every night. Amazing. But it didn't work because <laughs> it's a net loss emotionally for me. Mm-hmm. I just had, every show had a panic attack. Cause oh, like, wow. you're just singing like, this really heavy stuff over and over. Yeah. And I always perform with like projections on a huge screen mm-hmm. behind me of archival footage I've dug up through my PhD work that syncs up, either like kind of juxtaposes or harmonizes yeah. with the, the lyrics I'm singing. So you're just like kind of like clockwork orange style, always seeing these ghosts behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, these really hard histories and talking about death and incarceration and refugees and connecting it to what's happening today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards you always do a Q and a, so all these people bring their stories and unload their ghosts on you because you've kind of created this space for right. communion. And that's really great. But to do that, like a regular band is just untenable. And I, it was like the worst emotional period of my life. Wow. It was just like a nadir, just panic attacks, totally, uh, mental health, uh, physical health, had to go to the hospital several times, uh, lots of busted relationships. Just oh uh, for anyone who's suffered from that kind of stuff, you know, like you can just be completely hard to deal with and uh, you don't want to be around yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of like pivoted. Um, I feel like it's a real good buzzword that I've heard a lot lately. <laughs> Way to pivot, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I used that. Um, uh, yeah, I sort of pivoted after that really horrible tour, after a lot of relationships crumbled, both personally and professionally, and just thought about, like, what do I actually want to do with this work? And it involved leaving campus, and it involved going down to the border. Like, mm-hmm. I can't be singing these songs over and over about refugees if I don't actually know what's happening today mm-hmm. in very similar parallel situations, right? I can't make claims that what my mom went through is similar to what people are going through today if I don't know any of these people. Right. And also it's just we're in this age where people are so amped and hyped all the time politically. Like ready to get 
angry about a headline, mm-hmm. even though we should all be better fact checkers <laughs> in our day to day lives. But I mean, yeah, it w- it was really different. I think to actually go and see yeah, for yourself and do absolutely. some investigation. Yeah, you get less angry and just more overwhelmed and empathetic. Just mm-hmm. walking through the tent cities of Matamoros or. Uh, Nuevo Laredo and hanging out with the refugees and the shelters and stuff like that and then you do see some of those similarities to like what some of those boat people went through leaving Southeast Asia or what the boat people in Syria are going through today Mm -hmm. it was really important to okay I got what can I do in the world I can do some research maybe tell some people some things have conversations like this which maybe some people are going to hear and investigate something that's great or read some books whatever but like as a singer can I like can I use these songs, like almost like in a more utilitarian way, mm-hmm. like the people mm-hmm. volunteering all day um, in Brownsville, right? That's mm-hmm. where we were at this refugee shelter. Can we just sing for them during their lunch break or the attorneys working at Dilly, Texas? Like yeah. the people doing real hard, impossible work that they get burnt out from can only last a few months at a time. Can we do that or can we, you know, like... Um, yeah, like, what good does, like, my politicizing do and, like, my getting angry when you meet people and it's like, what do you need? Like, do you need me to theorize about, like, the historical echoes that are falling upon you as you try to <laughs> immigrate, you know? And, like, it's like, no, you need money to pay off a ransom to your coyote who who, who kidnapped you and put you in a basement next to women getting raped and people getting murdered and you had to pay them $12,000 just to cross the border. That's my friend Anahi's story that she yeah. tells on uh, as part of this project and, and I tell on her behalf and her lawyer fees, like we just have kept up with her yeah. and other people just like, that's, it, yeah, it's com- that's the pivot. It's like, I don't know what good the, like presenting this at an academic conference is as much as like, going down and trying to be of service in a very limited way. Um, which is why I'm stoked that like Amelia had, um, inspiration to become a lawyer because of this. Yeah, this is basically, we took a trip to a kindergarten for refugees in Tijuana and then we took the trip to Brownsville and, uh, Matamoros and after those experiences and just with all the time to really reflect on them because we did that, that was, those were like our last trips right before the pandemic. Um, and just thinking about those, rethinking what our future was going to look like since we weren't going to be touring anymore, I just mm-hmm. felt like, I feel like law school is a good place to be for the next three years and a way I can really, like, help people in a tangible way. Totally. Are you thinking about doing immigration then? Or Yeah, definitely, yeah. and that was part of my That's process of, of looking at schools. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, congratulations. Thank you. going to start in the fall <laughs> at Lewis and Clark. Um, when you were down in Texas, um... How did you start making those connections? I've, I feel like I've been an ethnographer since I was a kid. Mm. I grew up um, down the street from a member of the Lomax family. In ethnomusicology, oh, wow. the very problematic Lomax family. But if you actually know the family, you obviously have more sympathy. I mean, problematic but legendary. Problematic. Do you want to just say briefly who they are? Yeah, so Alan Lomax and his dad to a certain extent, but Alan mostly is kind of like, the pat- patriarch is a great word is the patriarch, yeah. for all of its baggage, That's right. yeah. is the patriarch of sort of like folk music field recordings yeah. and sort of gathered incredible amounts of folk music, discovered Lead Belly and had a sort of power imbalanced relationship with the Definitely. great bluesman after yeah. he got out of prison. But um, 
Yeah, so I grew up with, uh, my dad was really good for, like, drinking buddies with uh, John Lomax III, who is Alan's nephew. So I grew up, like, wow. talking to John, who's uh, managed Towns Van Zandt for a while in his own oh, right. Oh, wow, and, okay. Oh, one of these old, all I grew up around all these old Nashville is that, characters. Yeah, is that normal? Like, if you're... Well, my dad was in the music Your dad was business. in the music, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was, like, like, I got, I had, like, I grew up on music row. Right, Like, yeah. around all these country music, like, legends and mm-hmm. stuff. It was wild, but... Sounds I remember great. talking to, yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting. <laughs> but like hanging out with Lomax in particular, I got really inspired by the idea of field recording. So mm-hmm. I remember being like um, at 15 years old and going to Paris and just recording the sounds of the arcades just because I like sound yeah, so much. Yeah, I and, love that. Yeah, and it was just really got me off on like an intellectual and emotional level. And um, now it like figures into like Amelia was talking about just the the backbone of this 1975 album where it's all like found recordings made into drum kits and stuff. Um, why were we talking about Lomax? <laughs> what did you ask? I Sorry. was asking how you guys were able to establish oh, credibility at yeah, Dilly so, and other places like being that. a field recorder, being someone who was intrepid. Like the only real job I've, I've ever had was when I was 18 and I was working at Tower Records and I was a reporter for the <laughs> Tennessean, our local Nashville. Nice. Uh, like a kid reporter, like almost famous, uh-huh. <laughs> just so I could get into clubs uh, and, and see bands because when I was like 15 mm-hmm. to 18. And uh, so I kind of, being a journalist and being an ethnographer, um, just learned the art of the good hang. Yeah. Not going in with any presumptions, like we'll find what we find. And, and also like what I research is like the presence, of course, and want to know, like Amelia said, like I don't want to just get upset like I was the first year of the Trump presidency and just be fuming all the time mm-hmm. about stuff I haven't seen. Yeah. You know? And so to have the privilege to go down there, um, uh, it was, yeah, it was kind of like just wanting to look at uh, the present moment, but also the historical past of that same land. And that you don't have to hang out with anyone to do. Mm-hmm. So that was like, a, we were going to be able to do that anyways. Um, I've got to shout out my buddies Diego and Juan, who also went to Brown with me, and they were kind of yeah, the two people who have been with me the longest as far as collaborators on this, and um, and that's how we were able to speak to so many people because Juan translated right. for us. Oh wow, yeah. So, I mean, musically, um, you guys have chosen, I mean, it's basically a folk album, I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah. I won't make any, like, offensive comparisons to other acts, <laughs> but um, Please, do, you, yeah. <laughs> do you guys want to, I mean, one, one name that came, kept coming up for me the first few listens was Jens Luckman, but I love Jens Luckman, like so I, don't, I hope that's a compliment to you, but, you know, I think there's a lot of other, other sort of soundscapes going on. Um, yeah. If he wants to let... Uh... Let us open for him anytime. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to yeah. yeah. Also, I need tickets. Right? So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was listening to some of your older music, Julian, and um, my understanding is you were in the span the Young Republic, which mm-hmm. um, was making a lot of music until about 2010, and then you've had some other projects since then, mm-hmm. and then really fully launched into No No Boy. Um, why is folk music and that tradition like the appropriate vehicle for these stories? Man, critics like interviewers that I've talked to in academics especially, have this wonderful answer that by me playing folk music, I'm subverting expectations and like the whiteness of the form and genre and uh, making space 
for Asian American identity within this like uh, form of music. <laughs> and I, I, I wish that was the intention <laughs> but, because it sounds way more badass, but it's not. It's I'm a kid from Nashville. I grew up going yeah. literally to like um, city sanctioned full moon picking parties like the, the parks department put on Warner Park. <laughs> and you know like I said grew up around these country music singers um, yeah. going to their like ranches and mansions and um, having like like yeah it's crazy people over to the house and like down the street uh, was like some of like hall of fame level bluegrass musicians um, like Amazing. S- Sam Bush and um, uh, Jerry Douglas a great dobo Dobro player, Mark O'Connor, the great fiddler, were all within walking distance of my house wow. in my neighborhood, and I wasn't buddies with these guys because they were grown men and I was a little boy. But <laughs> <laughs> but that music was around, right? Yeah, and so yeah. like in the air, it was literally in the air, and there is something like culturally special for, for all sure. of our baggage um, about the South through yeah. our, through our food and our music in particular, and I'm very lucky to be from there. Um, even though we've never been portrayed properly in any film, we're always the idiot. But <laughs> you know, it's it's a fantastic place um, to get some kind of American culture. Yeah. Uh, for all the. I would love to go. Well, and I think there's been some like revisiting and historiography around like what actually is the folk tradition and how is it racialized, right? So right. just to choose like I guess the most famous person who's been doing it, but like Rhiannon Giddens, mm-hmm. right? Talking about black folk and you know i think there's asian american folk and this is some of the stuff that you guys are excavating yeah i hope so you know it's like this project has very much been a put your head down and do it kind of thing yeah um i felt like the great thing about you know or or what i would argue would be the good thing about letting like older folks into a phd program or like (laughs) artists you know people with more diverse backgrounds Mm -hmm. than you're like ivy league kid with the awesome pedigree probably went to a high school that was better than most people's college educations yeah. and then going straight through and you know minting these PhDs to teach when they're 27 like the argument I would make is like I got so much out of this and the the, the amount of books and oral histories I conducted and archival research I did it was like a second coming for like my song this this second like academic like Asian American adolescence that like yeah I just had to sing because again going back to the thing like I'm not gonna write a proper dissertation because it's gonna be boring and I'm not gonna do as much work <laughs> you know what I mean like I got up for three years at 6 a.m. every day for like four hours a day just pouring through archives because I knew that could like go into a movie or it could go into a song yeah. and I was like wow like, I'd like to share this with people how That's cool great. would that be you know um are you not hoping to go on the academic market um no no, no, I mean, I'm, like, like we said, Amelia started law school, and I've heard that first year is really tough. That's what it's everyone said. <laughs> so I'm just going to try to, like, make sandwiches for lunch. Oh, and, my gosh, that's amazing. And, uh, that's what I needed when L, apparently, you know. <laughs> try, to, try to take that stuff seriously, right? Yeah, because, um, great. Yeah, and I, I'm so lucky because I get asked to do little residencies at colleges right. or with cultural institutions because of this project and um, find like-minded academics who are, like, Oh, my grad students should hear this bullshit that they that this kid's on, <laughs> you know. And inevitably, you play for like some. I remember in Colorado. Shout out to Susan who who brought us there for the American Music Research Center, and we did a week long residency concert, and then I got to teach and take kids on a field trip to an internment camp and stuff. Real fun stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember I played like their faculty colloquium, 
and it was this vibe of like one person would come up and be like this is where academia needs to go and then another person would kind of just be like looking at me like how are you getting away with this bullshit totally how is brown accredited (laughs) right right so yeah no academic job market like because i want to do i feel like i found this way of doing things a way that i think can sort of reach more people that at least yeah. you know. I mean I think that was another reason why folk music is just a good fit for the project mm-hmm. is that it travels so well and we're able to I was take it say. yeah like yeah. all over because you just need a guitar and ideally like some nice microphones but you take what you get yeah <laughs> well and I think the lyricism is very strong and obviously there's you know I don't know if message is the right word, but there's con- like, you know, a story that you want to transmit. And so it's very smooth that way. Were there any stories that were transmitted to you that are particularly <laughs> interesting? For me and maybe other people who know something about Asian American history, just like a really immersive emotional experience. Mm. And I think that that was really rewarding. Nice, yeah. Well, is there anything you guys are working on that maybe you want to yeah. experiment with? Or yeah, I mean, well... That isn't on the album. What we were talking about, <laughs> like just the Nono Boy thing is so like been very um uh honored to get a lot of people reaching out will you play gigs now that things are opening up and the answer is usually not really because it is so emotionally taxing yeah. so if something like can pay rents totally and um also like pay for some people's legal fees like those folks who oh, cool. and yeah. stuff like that like then yeah do bigger shows and stuff like that usually because mm-hmm. you know universities have a crap ton of money right and you, if you could pull some of that and Robin Hood it, that's great. But it's too hard, it's, it's an emotional loss, and that's not how music should be, right? So we've been working on stuff that's like more joy-focused and like mm-hmm. happiness That's focused. nice, yeah. I know, yeah. So we could play some of those songs. Yeah, I'd yeah. love that. Yeah, sure. we do it. I've climbed mountains, Robertson's blues, oh Carolina, Sweet darling, I miss you. Sing oh, 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 Deep in the forest, just got in miles. Got no computer, ain't got no phone to dial. Sing oh, 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 oh. Dancing day, you sing, oh, oh. 
the core of what young folks ought to do. Head west and be cool. That's what young folks gotta do. But to pioneer uncorks the fear of being all alone. Oh, sweet faith, please let me go. Thank you. Ooh. About right? Oh. Oh. Panda, 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 oh. panda sky. Panda, 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 oh. panda sky. Identifying birds just oh. by what she heard. Panda, 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 panda sky. Panda, 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 scout. Filling up her pail, cleaning up the trail. Panda, 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 panda. A panda family in 2002 made a bed sheet rope, escaped the Oregon Zoo. Flew across a river in a hot air balloon. They put on graduate glasses and zookeeper seats. They made a little home in Mount Tabor Park. Up in the tree behind the reservoir Seeking round the city, munching on bamboo One day they found a girl separated from her tree It was a panda, panda scout, okay Panda, panda scout, the legend of Panda, panda scout, that's right Panda, 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 panda Young panda scout, she never quite fit in school or anywhere, not even a little bit. Then one day in Mount Tabor Park, she lingered after dark, saw some claw marks in the bark. Climbed up to a treehouse behind the reservoir, darkened in the doorway, dropping the jaw. A panda family dancing to Elvis, reading Tolkien, speaking in Elvish. Panda, 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 panda scout. Shared a bunk bed with the cub and made all the panda sounds and all the panda tasks. Wearing a panda mask, drinking bamboo wine, having a panda blast. Yeah. Keyboard solo. <laughs> and brave and never let the day end without a song singing around the campfire singing on an old tire dancing panda dances and athleisure attire panda 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 scout helping the infirm and the elderly out doing arts and crafts build a timber raft to rescue all the animals from the testing lab panda panda scout okay panda Scout, the one and only panda. See one of our kind, sincerely from the desk of the Portland Panda Scout.